You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're in the water libation, pouring the water on top of the altar. This is the time that the world is judged for water. So we're going to pour it on the, the altar. And we are going to, even though this is Halakha Moshem Sinai, it's a, a verbal tradition, it's an oral tradition from Sinai. We are going to do this on Shabbat as well as doing it on weekdays. The water pouring is on all seven days of the festival. So the Mishnah goes on to explain, We're in the 10th Mishnah of the 4th chapter. As it was done on weekdays, so it was done on Shabbat. Except that, Ela she, but, Except that they would prepare the water on Erev Shabbat. So if for the water pouring on Shabbat, they'd prepare the water the, the previous day. And as the Mishnah explains, except that on the eve of Shabbat, he would fill a non-sanctified golden barrel from the Shiloh and place it in the chamber. Why a non-sanctified barrel? There is an anxiety that if the water is left uncovered, it becomes unfit. We learned, by the way, in the Mishnah of Yoma, which I brought on the source sheet before. Remember in the Mishnah of Yoma, Ben Kassin made these um, 12 spigots for the laver, for the 12 priests to be able to wash their hands all at once. But he also made some kind of mechanism for the laver, for the water in the Beit Midash, so that it could lower itself down into the, um, the, 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 the source it, it should be able to lower it into the, um, basically, the. it would have been the Shiloh, actually. Anyway, it lowers itself back into the stream overnight, so you don't have standing water overnight, because the, the halacha is that standing water overnight in the temple becomes um, unfit, and we wouldn't want to take a sanctified temple vessel and run the risk of, storing in it water which might become unfit. So we're going to use a non-sanctified golden barrel from the Shiloh. We're going to place it in the chamber and we're actually going to cover it up. What if something goes wrong? Nishpcha or nitgalta. If it was poured away or if it was uncovered. So if it's poured away, we don't have it anymore. If it's uncovered, well, it can't be used on the altar. we got a problem. He'd fill it from the laver, from the, the water that the priests would use to wash their hands. And then the Mishnah then gives the rationale. Because we have a halacha that wine or water, which has become uncovered, is invalid for the altar. That's the close of chapter that's the close of chapter four of the Mishnah. The water pouring is the same on Shabbat as it is on the rest of the days of the week. But we're going to find that the preparations for the water pouring are a little different. 
Let's keep going. Hechalil chamisha veshisha. The flute was for five or six days. And we asked before, what does this flute look like? Is it like a modern flute? And I think we speculated that it might be more like a recorder. I was trying to find some old pictures of flutes, and this is the closest I could get for you. It's it's um, actually sixth century, so it's after the time of the Talmud, but not that much after the time of the Talmud. It's a mosaic found from a monastery in Beit Sham, so it's from the land of Israel. It's from Beit Sham, which we know is an area where the rabbis used to hang out. And there are a lot of Jew Jewish mosaics, actually, from that period. But I couldn't find a flute player in a Jewish mosaic, but here's one from a monastery. And you can see it looks very much like the kind of recorders that we have today. But, the flute was only for five or six days, because it did not override Shabbat, and it didn't override Yom Tov. This is the flute of Beit HaShoeva. So the fifth chapter of Sukkah is actually going to talk about, not about the water pouring on the altar, but about the celebrations related to the water pouring on the altar. And these celebrations were accompanied by music. But you will see in a minute that these celebrations absolutely cannot be carried these celebrations cannot be carried out on, on Shabbat. We'll see these in a minute. But and so the flute is not played on Shabbat. So it'll be five or six days depending on whether the uh, if the festival and on Shabbat fall on different days, then we lose two days. If the first day of Sukkot falls on Shabbat, then of course we only lose one day. Five or six days. Amru, they said they said someone who hasn't seen the joy around drawing the water or the beta shoeva is the house of drawing someone who hasn't seen the joy of the water drawing has never seen rejoicing in his life so how did it work well it's described in a few mishnayot but we're just going to read the first of these mishnayot Today and the Motsei Yom Tov Harishon Shel Chag Yardule Ezrat Nashim Mutaknim Sham Tikun Gadol. At the conclusion of the first festival day of Sukkot, they descended to the women's court and they'd make there a great Tikun. So, in other words, we've already drawn the water for the first day, and but at the close of the first day, so Motzei Yom Tov, we go down to the women's court. The women's court is a court where mixing was allowed; both men and women were allowed. So this is going to have this 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 cele this this celebration is going to happen somewhere where men and women can mix, and they make this tikkun. The Gemara states that the tikkun is the construction of a women's gallery. That it seems that. Usually women and men would mix in the outer court of the temple. And the rabbis don't seem to object to that. But this is an occasion where uh, if everything seems to go a bit wild. <laughs> it's going to go a bit wild on this celebration. And at a certain point, the rabbis become concerned about uh, 
about mixing of, of sex, about mixing, maybe about mixed dancing. And so they build a women's gallery. The women are above and the men are below. Umunorot shel zahav hayusham. There were golden lampstands there. The arba'as falim shel zahav variash berashehem. So there are four golden bowls on top of each of these golden lampstands. The arba'as sulamot l'chol echad v'echad. And four ladders to each one of these. And in their hands there were jars of oil containing 120 logs. This is a gigantic quantity of oil. This is about 10 gallons. And it's not clear actually whether there is, from the Mishnah, whether there are 10 gallons per bowl or 10 gallons between the bowl. But you know, that is as much oil as we put in a tank of a petrol tank for a car. And this is just for light. And we'll see in the next Mishnah, which we'll, we'll, um, we'll see the next Mishnah, that there's, a, that there's an extraordinary light um, burning here. There's a, just a, uh, it's almost as if this celebration is a celebration of fire as much as if it, as it is a celebration of water. And they're going to pour these 120 logs into the bowls. Shehen matilin l'chol sefel v'sefel. They're going to pour these 120 logs, these 10 gallons, into each bowl. And we mentioned before, by the way, that um, the festival of Hanukkah, which really is a festival of light, is in some way a late reflection of Sukkot. That... Uh, I, th I think it, it refers to a time when Sukkot couldn't be celebrated because of the uh, war with the Greeks or with the Hellenized Jews. And Sukkot is celebrated, the, the rededication of the temple at Hanukkah is a late celebration of Sukkot that year. And there are ancient traditions about a festival of fire. So it's very, it is, it is intriguing. It is intriguing. We, we can't really answer this question, but it's intriguing that the festival of Sukkot, at least as it was celebrated in the temple, seems to have been almost as much a, a festival of fire as it was a festival of water. And this is picked up in um, Hanukkah hundreds of years later on. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.